Hello, welcome to episode 27. My name is Ross. And I'm Craig. And it's time to put the cat on because it's tea time. Tea time. What's in the news today, Craig? Um, patchy news, I would say. I haven't really got a lot, so I'll fly through some. But uh, first of all, Australian researchers have found a way to recycle face masks. Oh, good. And not just any way of recycling them. They've decided to make them into rods. Okay. Because that's, that's exactly what you should do with them. Yeah. yeah. So researchers at the RMIT have developed a road-making sort of material combination with uh, shredded single-use masks, which are now everywhere, um, processed building rubble. So what they've kind of done is taken they've yeah, roughly a, a kilometer-sized road, they've mm -hmm. built it, and they've used 93 tons of waste, which is equivalent to 3 million masks, and they've chucked them into building rubble and made a road. I mean, why not? So they've just melted it with some other bits of crap made a red out of it. Yeah, not not melted. They've just combined them. That's, that's all it says. They've just yeah, literally nice. chucked them all together. It's plastic. It uh, Where's well, the cotton and stuff as well, isn't it? There's, there's other materials there. Oh, okay. Single-use ones. Right. But, um, but yeah, they've just made a road. They've made a kilometre two-lane road using three million masks. So, yeah, that's the picture. Roads made from masks. I feel like there's a pun in there somewhere, but there, there is. I did try to think. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you can edit one in later. Comments. Comments. Yeah. Um, uh, for the UK. So Rishi Sunak, our Chancellor of the Exchequer, is considering an Amazon tax. Now, if you just had to think at the top of your mind, how often have you heard that being said? I think seven this week. Um, yeah, I think well, everyone's been, yeah, everyone wants to work out how to tax Amazon because they're a bit upset that they just spend all their money on growth. Yes, well, I mean, the whole idea of you know, Amazon tax or Apple tax or whatever it is, how do you tax the big boys? That's been an ongoing thing for years. They just can't figure out how to tax companies which funnel all their money through offshore tax havens, effectively. I feel like that should be solvable. What you what's very difficult to do is if they spend all of their profits reinvesting into the company, well, that's kind of smart business. There's not really much you can do about that. But obviously, if they yeah, send so, it off somewhere else, then they, yeah, they should be able to uh, figure that one out. Anyway, well, well, Amazon's um, Amazon's case specifically, um, their profits obviously soared in last year pandemic, um, as we discussed um, last week with Bezos taking his leave. They had a record-breaking quarter of 100 billion, which is, you know, 30 billion a month, which is amazing. Mm. Um, in the UK, they accounted for 20 billion in profit in 2020, of which they paid 0.37 in tax. So, not sure the sums there, but that's not that's not 20% corporation tax. That's okay. a hell of a lot smaller. And that's profit too, so that's not reinvesting the company. Right. So yeah, that, that should have been two billion tax. 
really, but it wasn't. It was more yeah. like two, two million tax. So Rishi's got a plan? He hasn't. Oh. <laughs> As they've all said, they're considering an Amazon tax um, and they're ideally trying to claw back the spend of this pandemic, which has completely crippled most countries in the world. Whereas some companies like Amazon have entirely profit um, we want to get some money back off them to cover the costs of stuff like furlough. Mm. He hasn't got a plan, but I do think Rishi Sunak, as our chancellor, is probably the best chancellor we've had in some time, who might have a fair shot. Um, what was the guy's name under David Cameron? He also tried to introduce an Amazon tax and failed miserably. Can't remember that guy's name. Not the fat guy, not Brown. No, no. Not, not, a, not the Prime Minister, but the Chancellor's Exchequer oh, yeah, during David Cameron's. I yeah. wish that a bit. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. He was, yeah, he was piano for like six months. Don't forget Brown. Hmm. Um, yeah, I can't remember his name, but he tried to do the same thing. It just didn't work. Like, I mean, the argument's always been that, well, we'll just pull out of the country. But I think in Amazon's case, they can't really do that with a big market. Hopefully, Rishi figures out a way. But uh, moving on, in a different sort of news, $1.5 billion of Bitcoin mm. has been bought by Tesla, which I'm sure you've heard all about. It's a oh, big yes, thing. Craig. I'm fully aware of that one. There was, I was, my phone was going crazy with all the sort of the YouTube videos from YouTube updating <clears throat> me on the same topic. Mm. Although I think it's related to the last story in the sense that it takes one big move from the someone and lots of people will follow. So if Rishi was to come up with the plan, I think other governments would go, that's a damn good idea. I'm going to do that too. But anyway, what have they done? Well, Tesla, as uh, as I said, they bought 1.5 billion in Bitcoin Mm. and yeah, the entire here it is. They're just looking to hold some digital assets for some long-term just asset management. They feel that like they should get into that game and expand their assets effectively. They kind of make it sound really boring, but what I think they've done is they've spurred an undoubted cyber currency future. Cryptocurrency future, rather. I think what they've done is actually is is just basic normal sensible finance in the sense that they've got an absolute ton of cash on their uh, balance sheet and mm. it's diminishing in value for, for them when you've got billions of pounds sat in the bank effectively you're you're literally losing millions per year so you have to do something you're compelled to do something um so to put it in bitcoin is a is a worth a guess as anywhere else frankly yeah, it's a fairly genius move considering as soon as they did it, they made back, yeah, I think they've gained a few billion just off the bat because they increased the shape, they increased the price of Bitcoin significantly by doing this move because it gives it a certain level of um, authenticity now where before perhaps you were thinking, uh, Bitcoin, what is it really? But now a big boy's done this and there's talk of Apple potentially doing something similar, but that's just rumors. Either way, I think people will follow this as a lead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Elon, Tesla, they've done a really good deed. And I'm glad they picked Bitcoin because he was messing with Dogecoin for a while. But that was obviously just trolling. 
Although I read earlier that he's bought some Dogecoin as well for his son or something. What the heck? Yeah, I mean, there's this Mars coin too, which is trying, they, like, that was purposely made to get Elon's attention. Like, please, please pick us. <laughs> please, please. Use our currency in your new city on Mars. Yeah, I mean, but should Bitcoin be the currency of Mars? That sounds amazing. And But before that happens, you can look to start using Bitcoin to buy a new Tesla in the near future. So that's also yes. quite exciting. Well, so again, that one's a, a, um, the argument that came from ARK Invest was that mm. if you've got, um, if you're international, if you've got, you know, got big um, setups in, in China and in America and then in Europe as well, and you want to move money between the two, between them, dealing with foreign exchanges, <clears throat> and they could do it with Bitcoin, it would cost them nothing. So rather sensible, potentially. And yeah. I think other people I mean, will follow suit. So if you haven't bought into Bitcoin, whilst I would never give you advice, do so. Um, I would at least advise you to look into it and do your own research because now is an interesting time. But obviously, it's gone up quite a bit already from Tesla's uh, choice. Yes. But it has already pulled back a little bit from there. It has. Uh, certainly worth looking into. I would agree. So... I was going to give some numbers on that too. Oh, go ahead. So yeah, Bitcoin's currently uh, thirty-two thousand pounds each, about forty-five thousand dollars. But as you said, it has pulled back last week with the announcement, or earlier this week when the announcement was made. It did hit a peak of thirty-four thousand, forty-eight thousand dollars. So it's come back somewhat. So if you were thinking of maybe getting in or doing some research now, it's a good time. Arguably, this could be the cheapest it ever is, but who knows? Nobody knows, really. Speaking for myself, I am definitely looking into increasing my position this week. Cool. Okay. Uh, moving on to another cryptocurrency, uh, another 1.5, but in this term, millions, is China's plans. So I'm not sure if you've seen this, but China have their own digital currency. They're looking to adopt and produce. And they are looking to test it during the Lunar New Year, which is this week. And they're handing up 1.5 million worth of the currency in limited trials into digital bank accounts. And they're doing this by just basically giving 10 million yen, um, distributed through 50,000 packets of 200 yen, and yeah, just giving them out effectively. As part of the People's Bank of China, so everyone's getting a two hundred yen little bonus in their digital bank, and then yeah, not, not everyone, but about fifty thousand people. Right, so yeah, and then what? They can just spend it however they want for anywhere yeah. that supports this new currency. Yes, but it's an official government thing, so you can imagine being a communist country which owns most of the industry. You'd imagine most things would start accepting this, like trains, buses, that type of stuff. Um, the details haven't been said yet. They're still in trial phase, but it's very interesting that a country, especially the size of China, is developed its own cryptocurrency to use. Mm. So that's quite, yeah, I think that's quite interesting considering that most of their reserves in money is in the US dollar. 
So should they sort of abandon in that type of stuff? Oh. China could single-handedly topple the fiat system. Oh. If it wanted to. Oh. Right. Sell my shares. Sell my shares. <laughs> Here comes the crash. Mm. Um, and finally, as we also mentioned Jeff Bezos earlier, um, he's now jumped ship from Amazon. And he's jumped ship straight into Blue Origin, as we kind of suggested he would be doing. Yep. So he, he's now directly taking on SpaceX, which is Elon Musk's company, as we all know. Yep. And he is trying to face them head on and try and get the NASA's um, moon landing um, project, which is just a new lunar lander. SpaceX is going for it. Um, there's a couple of other people's two Dynetics, Leos Holdings, and now so Should Bezos get this? That's a fairly big win. So maybe dropping from Amazon to, to focus his attention on this was a good move. If he gets this, I mean, I don't if. know every single fight, but generally speaking, when it comes to Elon versus Jeff, Jeff tends to lose as far as I can see. And I assume Elon will now give this quite a lot of his personal attention. He seems to like a challenge. Well, th th yeah, well, the, the rivalry between them has been going on for quite a <clears> time. <throat> yeah. It's kind of fun, yeah. though, to be honest. I, mean, I, I kind of hope that they actually have a, I hope it's like a friendly rivalry. I hope they actually enjoy the sort of competitiveness of, I hope it's not actually bitter as it seems to be. But Well, no, but I mean, competition is only a good thing, really. Both companies will compete for NASA. Um, the fact that NASA is even introducing third-party companies is because it can no longer do this itself. And yeah, SpaceX and Dynetics and Blue Origin. I'm not sure who Dynetics are. They kind of feel like they're the third wheel. <laughs> they're not going to get much of a C in here. But yeah, um, yeah this, is a, this is a Bezos versus Musk. So this is interesting. I'd like to see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Heart Hard job for whoever that NASA executive job is to decide. <laughs> yeah. Well, which, 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 which words would smile would you like to choose? The first one or the second one? Do you, do you want, uh, your, <laughs> want your Tesla Model Y to arrive late or every package you've ever ordered to arrive late? One of them is going <laughs> to. Yeah. Um, that's all I have. What all you right. Week? Well, let me first start with a new hydrogen fl uh, flavored can of Campbell's soup. To tickle your fancy your taste buds um apparently it could be the future of clean and i emphasize the word clean hydrogen uh so scientists from the fraunhofer institute for manufacturing technology and advanced materials in dresden otherwise known as ifam because who the hell can pronounce all that crap uh, has made a sludgy gray paste and i if i get time and anything i will put up a picture um which heats hydrogen with with magnesium and also some stabilizers um so that the hydrogen can be stored in cartridges or some capacity um at room temperature because remember we talked remember in our hydrogen episode we talked about how getting the stuff around is a nightmare because you need to compress it or you need to uh call it to keep it cooled or whatever it's a nightmare to sort of move around and it rusts pipes and all that sort of stuff. Rice pipes, it deteriorates them. All that sort of stuff. 
So the idea here is they've mixed hydrogen with um, uh, what was I supposed to say? magnesium and some other stuff to make this disgusting looking um, yeah, like Campbell's soup type mixture, uh, which the idea is that you when you mix it with water, it reacts and the water in the hydrogen, sorry, the, the hydrogen in the water um, coupled with this weird mix gets the hydrogen out of both the water and the mix to create or to release the hydrogen. So that's the theory. Uh, and apparently mm. the results are that the, because it can be stored at uh, room temperature, it's a stable medium. Um, and it apparently has 10 times more energy dense than a lithium ion battery. Oh, nice. So I don't know. I feel like there's a story like this all the time, but this one seemed the most sensible of the ones I've seen. So I thought I would announce it just in case you heard it here first. Um, this is a quick thing with that one. Um, yeah. Adding magnesium, which is a flammable item, to hydrogen, which is a flammable item, yeah. into a small container. Kind of sounds like you're making something that's unsafe, more unsafe. Sounds like you're making some sort of bomb, doesn't it? Does a bit, yeah. Especially if it's literally in a can. <laughs> Apparently, the stabilizers. Um, well, I mean, sometimes when you mix two compounds together, they make makes it benign. But um, yeah, that's the theory here. You, yeah, yes, you've mixed two very reactive things together, and it's made it unreactive and stable. Who knew? Hmm. Cool. Okay. We'll take the word for it. Or it's a, it, or it's a can of soup that blows up. We're not quite sure. Um, Right, going back to our conversation about Mars and stuff, uh, tensions are rising as the race to Mars has suddenly got a bit more interesting this week um, because both the United Arab Emirates and China have both launched probes. I mean, they launched them ages ago, but they're both arriving in Mars, at Mars, around Mars this week. Oh, the last couple of days. So the United Arab Emirates, the United Arab Emirates one arrived first, um, and then the Chinese one arrived yesterday, that would be Tuesday, um, and both have successfully entered into Mars's orbit. Um, the Chinese or probe, the Chinese probe has already returned a grayscale picture of the Mars surface. No idea why it's grayscale. Supposedly it's got this very high density camera, beautiful cameras that is just going to go around and around on Mars taking lots of pictures. I don't know why the first thing it sent back was grey scale, but maybe they needed it in a hurry, so they condensed it or something. I don't know. But anyway, it's sending pictures, um, and apparently it's going to stay in orbit until May. I don't know why it's so long, but it's staying until May, and then it's supposed to be launching its rover to land on the surface in May. <laughs> but not to be outdone, the US also has... Uh, something on its way, uh, which will be the rover you may have heard of, Perseverance. Mm. Um, so that one is due to arrive next Thursday. So there's now going to be three of them all fighting, at the, or not fighting, but, you know, uh, all sort of competing to be the most interesting probe uh, at the same time. Um, but to put it in context, over the last 60 years, there's been a dozen missions to Mars, and of which everyone that's tried to land on the surface about half of them have crashed so 
things are about mm. to get, you know, interesting, possibly in they a are. sort of explody kind of way. But, you know, <laughs> who doesn't like to watch something smash into our, unfortunately, we won't get to see it. Or maybe we will. Maybe one of the other ones will take a picture of the pro blowing up. You know, we might also actually will. live action of destruction, yeah. extremely expensive kit. Mars fails. Just as a quick thing, we talked about dynamics being the third wheel in the whole Bezos versus Musk thing. What's what's the UAE doing there? United Arab Emirates. They don't seem like they're suited for a mission to Mars. Uh, they like, thought they'd send. They're they're probably the they're same to watch. <laughs> they even putting on it, or they just sent a probe there just so they go. Yeah, we got there first. Ha! I don't know. I'm not quite sure. It, I couldn't find any what's coming back from that one, but I'm sure there's a plan somewhere. Fair enough. Uh, hopefully, I they'll just, start sending stuff powered. this week, and then we can show uh, what it sent back. Because, I mean, I would, I would put the grayscale one up, but I mean, it's a rare planet. Seeing it grey just looks weird. It's like a moon. It's not interesting. Not interesting enough. Oh, we've seen Mars. Okay, so uh, in other news, uh, remembering our roots to the UK, um, hundreds of hills across the UK could be transformed into renewable energy batteries through uh, hydropower, but a pioneering new system, which basically, rather than having to use very steep dam cliff type thingies, we're using just the normal British rolling hill. Um, because what they've done basically is that instead of sending water down the damn thing, they're sending a very dense, uh, it mentions it being, um, what's the word they used? Uh, um, nutrient rich or something. Not quite sure what the nutrients relevance is, is but uh, basically a denser liquid running down the mountain rather than normal water. Um, basically, effectively, I think it makes it run go down faster. So they can still use the same sort of turbine system at the bottom, um, but you don't require the big levels of geology and height that makes um, dams only suitable in certain places. So basically it opens up the possibility to hydropower in a lot more areas, which mm. would be wonderful, frankly, wouldn't it? So we have a lot of those in Wales, so I'm sure they could do with that. Uh, apparently lesser environmental impacts. I did notice on the diagram, it was quite interesting. They had, a, had the, the dam on the left, the traditional dam with its steep thingies, and then they had the little one um, with the with the same power thing at the bottom, and it, in the diagram, the the little hill had trees on it, just to just to highlight that it had a lesser environmental impact than a big concrete dam. Yeah, I mean the, the main thing there is because they're underground. Well, under under the hill, you mean? Yeah, they're not on the surface, I suppose. So mm. there's no actual damage. Yes, I do. I mean, like it's completely off topic, really, but <clears> off topic. But it's um, there's that. Um, what do they call it? The hydrophobic pipes. I haven't heard whether that's been. Have you heard of a hydrophobic pipe? It's like it's like a material inside a um, pipe, which basically stops the water from being able to sort of like smoothly rest on it. And basically, what happens is if you put if you pour water into it, it absolutely guzzles it out the other side. Oh no. So it, speed, it basically speeds up the flow of water through the pipe. So I'm not quite sure why that hasn't been used yet. Because you think that would be the perfect thing to put in. Because then you wouldn't need some nutrient-rich, dense water. You could just use normal water. 
chuck it through a hydro thingy pipe. But anyway, I'm that's conjecture. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not a scientist. But there we go. Mm. Um, and finally, uh, in some investment news, uh, if you are not into the somewhat Marmite cyber truck, uh, of which I have a pre-order, no idea whether I'm going to do it or not, but I have one anyway. Um, if you're not into that, then the next coolest thing on the block would be the uh, Rivian. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the adventure pickup truck that they've done. I haven't. That's the one. They've got this, like, uh, they've got a hole. doesn't sound cool, but it is. Um, it's got a hole through the center of the truck, uh, which is, like, behind the seats, but before the pickup part. Um, there's basically a, a channel that goes right through the middle. So they turned it into, like, a place that you can either store skis or you can um, put in, like, a, a big... Um, like a camping like kitchen like a pull-out kitchen okay so you, you you pull up and then you kind of open your little hatch thing thing and you and you slide out this kitchen and then you can kind of cook on it right so um anyway it's the rivian it's very cool it can go around in little circles because it's got four motors one on each wheel um and uh yeah so they are thinking about ipoing uh, in the traditional fashion, they're not doing this current trend of doing a reverse SPAC, um, but they are, so they're going to go down the traditional IPO route. Now, just to give context, Rivian are invested heavily by Amazon already, so they're expecting them to use the Rivian base for their uh, delivery vans. Um, Ford have also invested $500 million or something like that um, into them, so they're probably going to be getting Rivian to build some of their stuff. Now, the the famous Ford truck, the F-150, I don't know whether that's going to be on based on the, on the Rivian in the future or, or what, but um, the probably the most interesting thing is that the valuation of this IPO is at 50 billion. Mm. Um, to put that in context, Ford, who's invested in them, their total market cap today, given how many cars they produce, uh, is only 45 billion. So that seems expensive, but if you are the maker of every single Amazon delivery truck and potentially all the Ford F-150s, for which is probably the most, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is the most popular selling car for Ford, then you can kind of see potentially why it might be getting that valuation. But yeah, so that should happen in September. So if you're a uh, not investing yet. Are you interested? Get yourself ready by September. Never heard of them, but that's very interesting. And the whole concept of they are IPO in a higher value than Ford, who basically invented the car. So that's, that's quite a kick in the teeth. Well, kind of, yeah. Anyway, so that's me done. What is the topic for the day? Um, so it's one... For those that haven't about... read the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler. Uh, it's one we've chatted about for some time of we should do this and I've wanted to do it. And it's all about sleep. So I touched on sleep a couple of weeks back with the how to live to 180. And I induced sleep when I chatted about Bitcoin. So it kind of makes sense that we now have a chat about what is sleep and I mean, the biggest question for me has always been to sleep or not to sleep. 
like CPARs, to be honest. Is this one? Well, I mean, not. I don't think there's not a choice. Is there to not sleep? That makes you go crazy. But you mean well, whether to sleep lots or not, or to sleep a little? Yes. Sort of. Yes. Sort of. We can delve into the the known studies, but um, yeah, sleep has to be honest, been for me a right pain in the ass, and that's not because until recently I slept on a broken mattress. Uh, true story. I'm very tight. Uh, I'm thinking more of the time it takes from my life. So mm. the question of whether or not to sleep has always plagued me with probably the last decade where I've experimented with sleeping bare minimum, um, sleeping at odd times, like multiple naps. Uh, I've slept too much and all the bits in between. I've always wanted to try and find my optimal sleeping routine because I hate the fact that it takes a third of my day. So I've always tried to shave off some time. Uh, I'm going to share what I've learned from my readings and experiences in this chat. So hopefully that works. But TLDR, what I have learned is the shorter you sleep, the shorter your lifespan. Uh -uh. Yeah, which is absolutely unfortunate because... Yeah. Just based on the fact you've this... died many times or... Or is that just well, no, it's just <laughs> it's just what the research seems to point out. Unless you are genetically rare, uh, sleep is the most effective thing we can do to reset our brains and is essential for body health. So it's needed every day. And most of us, frankly, need a certain level of sleep just to function in day-to-day -day life. <clears throat> the estimates so far are around six to eight hours, which is true for the majority of us. So I mean, is that uh, ring true for you, Ross? Six, eight hours? Um, yes, although I do feel like in the winter, I am I definitely sleep longer. Like when it was, I was sleeping about six, six and a half, maybe seven uh, hours during the summer. And I felt like I was sleeping too much then because I have the same issue with you as I feel like it's, it's not so much, I don't think of it as a third of the day. I think of it as 30 years potentially of my entire, like the idea of spending 30 full years in bed just upsets me. But um, yeah, but yeah, in the winter, I'm, I feel much worse. I feel like I need like eight, nine, 10 hours sometimes. It's just, I'm, I'm useless in, in the winter, which is why I started taking vitamin D recently in the hope that I can curb that problem. But yeah, so yes, roughly speaking, yeah. Okay, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's dark in the winter. That could just be a thing. Mm. Um, there's different, you know, affective disorders or seasonal, which could also be there. But yeah, I am sad. No... Got a sad lamp? Um, I did have, I don't at the moment, I used to wake up and basically like sort of like practically kiss the thing. I used to just walk, I just wake up, just put my face on it going, eh, you know, wake up type thing. It didn't really work. I think I needed like something more, you know, like the sun in my in my room in order for it to make feel any bit different. Something a bit real. Yeah. Well, I suppose the first first step to understanding how this all works is what is sleep. Um, and you might be surprised, but in short, we don't fully understand. No one actually knows, which is typical. But um, all we know is all biology seems to have a sleep requirement, and we only have best guesses as to why. So everything sleeps, but yeah, we just don't know why.
But to break it down to the parts of the ones we do understand, let's chat about melatonin. So this is a chemical in the brain, which we know about, and it sort of determines your circadian rhythm, which is one of the two factors determining um, how, when, and how long you sleep. So melatonin does this by regulating the timing of when sleep occurs by signaling darkness throughout us or just the organism in general. But it kind of has little impact on the sleep generation itself. All it does is gets ready. Doesn't really do much more than that. The bit that makes us sleep is sleep pressure. So that's caused and it happens throughout the day, it's a buildup of pressure within our body. And it's a chemical called andensamine, which is in the brain. And it effectively forces us to sleep. So think of the pressure like holding your breath. Eventually you have to breathe. So mm -hmm. you can feel that pressure building, urge. Yeah. Has to breathe. So sleep works in a very similar way. Uh, pressure builds and eventually you will sleep with or without your agreement really like you can't just fall asleep at any really daily moment and some people take caffeine to buy them some more like awake time and this does work because it blocks the receptors in the andenzanine um, areas of the brain mm -hmm. it takes roughly 30 minutes to do that but the jury is out whether or not this is really effective or even a good thing it might just might just be quite unhealthy to do but the people, some people as well, do have um, the ability to process caffeine faster than others. So they can hit them quite quickly and be very efficient. But the problem we do seem to see is that over time, caffeine effects uh, do get less efficient as we age. So if you're already at the point now where you need a coffee in the morning to wake up, that's only going to get harder the older you get. Does that describe you at the moment? I do. Yeah, I do feel like I need a coffee in the morning. That do you know what? That's it's, I could I could cope with the fact that it'd be eight hours or nine or whatever, however long. What I would really like to change is just <clears> the feeling <throat> that when I wake up, that I'm happy to be awake. I'm <laughs> refreshed. Fed up of waking up and feeling groggy. Like that's not what I want to feel when I wake up. When I wake up and go, cool, I'm up. Let's go. I don't. I wake up and go, oh. Give me another 10 minutes. I hate that. I, I experienced it once, maybe twice. Um, mm. And it was, uh, I remember exactly where I was. I was in Brazil <laughs> and I was sleeping outside yeah. in a hammock and I woke up and the sun was on my face and I woke up and I was, boom, I was ready to go straight away. It's the only time I've ever experienced that. So, Natural. I think both times I was, I woke up completely bathed in sunlight. I, I suppose that would be the natural way. Yeah, so that's the only way that works for me, but I can't do that inside. No, I suppose that's where a sun lamp would come in handy, a sad lamp. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I had to like put my face on it and it still didn't make me feel any different. Mm. Maybe, so maybe I, it wasn't a very good one. But... A nuclear reactor in my room in order to apparently do anything. Well, that'd be a cool experiment, I suppose. <laughs> Set fire to one of those hydrogen <laughs> paste things. <laughs> yeah, I, I, 
I won't do that. I don't think brightness would be an issue then. I think death might be. Right. But um, <laughs> so sleep itself, it, it isn't binary. So there's not just awake and there's sleep. There's, there's stages. So there's roughly three main stages, which is REM, deep, and light. Um, and the REM stage, and part of this is also NREM, but we're just going to cover REM itself, is it's mostly to do with how your brain sorts the information you've learned that day. So think of your wake state when you're awake, you're out there, yeah, you're sort of in a reception, you're receiving all this information, it's all going in. And then your NREM sleep is your reflection. This is when you are storing, strengthening those raw um, neurons in your brain, where you're adding new facts, new skills, new information that you've learned. And then your REM sleep is the final integration part. And this is where you then interconnect the things you've just learned with other things you've already learned, and you build that complete net. Um, and those are incredibly important parts of sleep. Without that, you hypothetically wouldn't be storing the information that you've learned that day. Yeah. So you can see how not going to sleep or having limited sleep already damages that process. But REM sleep is also incredibly crucial for creativity. Without REM sleep, creativity potentially might not even be possible. So there's a famous story of uh, Salvador Dali, who used to fall asleep with a spoon. And his method of painting used to be, he'd fall asleep, holding a spoon. Uh, as he fell asleep, uh, the REM state is typically the state you had at first. And then he would drop the spoon, wake up in REM sleep, already be in some sort of delirious, dream-filled experience, and he'd start painting. And he credits some of his best masterpieces to this process of unconscious. And he woke himself up. He, got his, he, he definitely yeah. woke himself up during REM. Yes, he was holding the spoon, he fell asleep, spoon dropped out of his hand. Oh, that woke him up. Yeah. Let's say. Was it a heavy spoon? <laughs> it, was a, uh, it was a plastic it might have been. and a car, but he didn't hear a thing and he said he'd sleep for the next six hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I probably didn't work all the time, but you know, let's say every now and then uh, he woke up, the spoon hit the floor, he woke up, delirium, started painting. I suppose it's a, it's a safer version of you know taking LSD or something. It's yeah, easy to do it this way. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, so he has a, a bunch of dream-filled masterpieces which he credits. Um, there's also good evidence to suggest that REM sleep um, recalibrates the fine emotional circuits of the human brain. So this is why humans tend to have a lot of it. We have a quite neatly tight emotional circuitry and our nightly REM sleep recalibration of this seems to have scaled rapidly with our environment. So the whole evolution of humans, we started out quite in small tribes and then we get a bigger, bigger, bigger tribes up towards 250-ish and our REM ability does seem to have gained during that same time suggesting that our emotional capability was needed more interconnection, more recalibration on a nightly basis. So this allowed us to scale rapidly and exponentially, unite those bigger tribes and eventually conquer the world. So REM sleep is very important. Maybe, you know, we don't really give as much credit as due. That could be our single biggest 
thing that we've ever had. Yeah. Our single determiner. <clears throat> so other than those obviously amazing advantages, REM sleep is also um, probably the best sleep cycle stage of the entire night. So you'd want as much of it as possible. Um, the average is around 15 to 25% of your sleep. Um, and the thing that damages that time the most is alcohol. It's the most powerful suppressor of REM sleep that we know of. So the idea is do your best to limit alcohol and do not drink three hours before you go to sleep. Three hours. I think it Otherwise, you are two hours before I go to sleep as well, or one hour. Or is it just something no. specific about three? Yes, very specific. Exactly three hours, no drinking. Either side, absolutely fine. Right, that's, that's how REM sleep works. Well, that's why that's we call it tea time and not cider time, because, you know, just in case you like to watch it late at night or listen to it. Well, yeah, we, we record these late at night, but I assume most people are probably watching them. I don't know. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just assumed it was always like black outside for some reason. But um, yeah, so don't drink alcohol three hours for bed. Otherwise, you damage your REM sleep, which is the most important sleep. And yeah, you just bad on you. I, I, I won't. <laughs> yeah, maybe on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fine. Um, so next we have deep sleep. So another incredibly important sleep stage, uh, not quite as important as REM, but probably secondary place. Uh, deep sleep is when your muscles relax and repair itself. Um, your blood pressure also drops, which is a good thing, and energy is restored. So you typically have an average of 20, 12 to 23% of your sleep in deep sleep. So if we add those together, almost 20 to 50% of your sleep is now REM and deep, which is good. So what's the rest of it? This would be light sleep. If anything, For a week. this is the sleep stage you can reduce. So uh, it takes an average of 40 to 60% of your sleep, which is um, responsible for arguably kind of getting you ready for the other deeper stages. So it's, it's needed, but perhaps not as much as, you know, 60% of your sleep. So if there was saving to be done, this is where it could be done. So during light sleep, your heart and breathing rates are lower than they are when you're awake. And there's bursts of electricity um, activity in your brain, which is kind of lapping around, boosting your brain's communication systems. In effect, again, it's ready for deep stages where you start recalibrating. And it also stimulates your ability to remember and learn. Uh, you do dream in light sleep, which is quite cool, but you don't tend to have coherent dreams. So if you ever remember a dream and just didn't make any sense, chances are it was a light sleep dream. Okay. And if you wake up during light sleep, you might not have even known you were sleeping at all. That's how light it could very well be. Those times when you kind of drop off and then you wake up and yeah. you kind of you remember like you were dreaming maybe. That, yeah. That's like a weird light sleep dream. Sometimes when I go, 
was I just asleep then? And then I catch myself asking myself that question and go, if I have to ask, I probably was. Yeah. I, I used to have this really awkward one where like it was a light sleep dream where I'd kind of, I felt like I was just drifting off, but I must've already fallen asleep and I was on a swing and I fall off. I had that dream a lot. It was really annoying because as you, before you hit the floor, you always wake up, you jump there, you jump. Yeah. Hated it. Light sleep dreams. I, I hate the dreams where they're so realistic that it takes you a good couple of minutes after you wake up to work out whether or not that was real or not. Type thing. Like, yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've <clears throat> about um, crashing my car or something or um, something like that, or being late for something. And then you wake up and go, oh, I, I crashed my motorbike. Damn. Then you go, I don't have a motorbike. What are we talking about? <laughs> and it takes, like, you know, it takes a while. Or like, you know, I, I, was, I was late for that. Uh, interview and get all and go yeah but I haven't I don't have any interviews <laughs> I already have a job very annoying <laughs> very annoying yeah so they would be REM sleep dreams so your REM sleep dreams are the creative the fun-filled the the more laborious ones that uh, take over larger portions of the brain and you are typically in muscle paralysis during these dreams your brain literally stops you from acting out those dreams as best as it can mm -hmm. And again, we have no idea why we dream. Best estimates, it's kind of like a screensaver, just keeping the brain active while it's doing the work. And that's all we know. The way I see it, it's like um, that calibration process has to like send pulses through the neurons. It has to fire the synapses. And it's like sort of an accidental, like you can't touch the mechanism to to recalibrate it without accidentally sparking it and therefore you get all these um related sort of dreams which will often be quite realistic because they're you know they're connected to something that happened recently so it's like it's you you just inter you just sparked uh an, a recent thought and it's just sent it off on one and then yeah so you've accidentally done it if you know what I mean no that's how i say it anyway. yeah yeah, uh, most possible. Yeah, we, we just don't know. And even though we have plenty of brain scans of sleeping people, we just still we see activity. And sometimes when you're sleeping, there's the same activity as if you was awake. It's really hard to determine a sleeping brain, which is which in itself is mad because you are clearly sleeping. I mean, you could be in full muscle paralysis. Your brain is as active as it was, you know, five hours ago when you was doing day to day activities, which is it's mad. Kind of, kind of shows that the brain just never really does turn off. It is always it's full pelt, doing its mm. thing. And the dream is maybe just a way to distract yourself, or they are accidental neuron firings, which somehow our brain makes a coherent vision out of. And even though you feel like you dream for maybe ten minutes, twenty minutes, that ten, twenty minutes is probably four hours or three hours of really slow time progress. Mm. So. That's typically all we know. We can see certain things happening when a person is dreaming and it always lasts a lot longer than they think. Or we, so only, or we only remember the last minute of it. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever fired last type thing. Like it, it got wiped out in the process. Yeah. Uh, lots of people have 
a lot of success keeping dream diaries and stuff where they that you wake up write down their dreams because you will forget them and it's always cool to read them back i yeah it doesn't i don't do it as much now i used to when i there was a period i went through a, a, a period of having lots of dreams when i was younger but i i don't i don't remember them anymore it doesn't happen as often now i was obviously more stressed wasn't me maybe maybe you were lonely more Maybe life is less stressful these days. I'm learning less. Great. Brilliant. Or maybe your mind is so full of stuff that I don't know. You just... No, I don't know. If you are accidentally firing neurons, you should be dreaming more as you get older because there's more stuff in there. I reckon that. I reckon it was... I was a, must have been a more emotional time and my brain was full of some other chemicals. Are you just doing emotional recalibration? Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I've been maybe. maybe. <laughs> So that's the stages. So how we sleep. Um, so in the developed nations, so like the westernized world, I guess, we typically sleep, uh, as we said, between six to eight hours in a uh, monophasic pattern, which is basically one long slumber. And that's it. Sleep for a full solid six to eight hours and call it done. Um, however, other cultures, which especially those untouched by technology and electricity sleep very differently. So hunter-gatherer tribes, uh, such as the Gabra in Northern Kenya, they kind of sleep a biphasic pattern, which is a single lump of time, say six to eight hours, but then they'll also have a 30 to 60 minute nap later on in the day. Kind of like a siesta. Yeah. Where, and that's completely normal. And all the studies have shown so far that biophasic sleeping is more superior, which again has more evidence to the longer you sleep, the longer you live. Um, and then unsurprisingly, then in places like in Northern Greece, where they still have siestas, and I'm sure this place in Spain too, um, men are nearly four times as likely to reach the age of 90 as are American men. And Primarily because of siestas and the fact they sleep more. So it's a very big determiner. And we did discuss a couple of weeks back with living to 180, that sleep is a very important part. We're not sure how much, 10, 20, 30, 50%. We have no idea. But all we know is it is important. Have more of it. And talking of our age, sleep does change the older we get. <clears throat> So in childhood, changes in our deep NREM sleep always precede cognitive and developmental milestones. So typically when weeks or months of us doing something like maybe learn to speak or learn to read, um, we can sort of see patterns in our NREM sleep already, which does give the suggestion that um, our brain and sleep may be driving brain um, maturation. So the actual chemicals that produce the brain in the first place could be happening while we sleep, not the other way around. So it's not as recalibrating the brain when we sleep. It's more of we're building the brain as we sleep, which could be a different way of seeing it entirely. Especially in childhood, that seems to be the case. But then in midlife and old age, um, they appear to need just as much sleep as they did when they were younger. So the whole, um, when you're older, you need less sleep. 
is a complete myth. That's not true at mm. all. Darn it, I was looking forward to that. Yep. Um, if anything, as you enter your fourth decade of life, so. All right, all right. Maybe, maybe you can uh, elaborate, but there does seem to be a reduction in electrical quantity and quality of deep and REM sleep. Um, and this is kind of the older we get is related to the more frequently we wake up through the night due to sleep fragmentation. So have you, do you suffer in anything like this, any sort of sleep fragmentation or do you sleep soundly throughout the night? No, I mean, not, you know, I occasionally get woken up, but no, as a general rule, I'm pretty solid once I'm down. Cool. I mean, you've only literally started that point, I suppose. So I suppose this is more later on in our 60s and stuff. But yeah, sleep fragmentation becomes a thing. And yeah, our, our quality of sleep suffers the older we get. So get as much as you can when you're younger, basically. <clears throat> so why should we sleep? I mean, if the advantages where we've already talked about are not good enough, um, the biggest advantage is memory, which we haven't talked about. So sleep has proven itself to be the biggest terms of memory and it's the biggest memory aid. Before learning, we prepare our brain initially for making new memories and after learning is all done through sleep. So hypothetically, if we learn something and we didn't sleep on it, mm -hmm. we could very well not remember it in the first place and just lose it. There's no, there's no evidence to say we could prevent the forgetting of that memory. Unless we sleep, there's no way to cement it in. It stays in yeah, short-term memory and just gets wiped out at some point. Yeah, so memory, essential, really. Kind of makes, um, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I feel like my memory's bad. Um, mm. But at the same time, uh, like um, I mentioned something to my sister earlier on, she's like, how did you remember that? Because it was something from like 20, 30 years ago. Um, but I, I just think it comes down to whatever you decide to revisit. Like if I revisit a memory, then, you know, as in like you have your short-term memory, then it goes into medium or term or whatever. So if, if you frequent it, I think you keep it. If you're like me and you're always thinking about the next thing, you don't think about what happened before just disappears mm. i think that's part of the reason i um, it's not really so much my brain's not capable of memory it's just um i i never re i never cycle those paths of my brain and so i don't as if i looked at pictures more from the, from the past i would remember things more and if i had a picture mm. i could suddenly remember something that i completely didn't know i i, I remembered if something um but so i think that's kind of largely down to it Hmm. It's, it's going in basically, but not consciously. Yeah, but day to day, I, I would say my memory is awful. Yeah, maybe you need more sleep, perhaps. Or maybe you need to know, read the things you want to remember before you go to sleep. That often helps. I think but, I um, I'll distracting myself with other things. I'm like, you know, oh, let me shine. Oh, let me shine. Oh, we, we do these chats before we go to bed, so maybe we'll remember these things tomorrow. 
I mean, you definitely will because you're going to spend all day tomorrow editing it. Always remember every single episode. Yeah. As I know you do too, at home. Listeners at home. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so outside of memory, the other advantage is creativity. So the evidence in the study suggests that without um, sleep, there is no creativity. So obviously we talk about Salvador Dali, who swears by this. But otherwise, if you have a creative job as well, getting more sleep might be the best thing for you. It's complete win-win. There doesn't seem to be an ability to, for the brain to have creativity without sleep sort of recalibrating every now and again to sort things out. The whole connections, I suppose, are required. Right. So that's the positives. <coughs> Negatives. Um, firstly, brain function buckles under even the smallest dose of sleep deprivation. I think we've all experienced this, like drowsy driving. Like I've I've had this a few times. Yeah, I think I think everyone has. I've been in some quite close calls, to be honest, with drowsy driving. But yeah, uh, yeah, I've had, uh, not so much close calls, but just having some driving um, times where I've just. I'm literally almost physically fighting with myself to stay awake. And I'm like, it's not any particular reason for it. It's not like I've had a particularly really late night. It's just that maybe the, you know, it's, it's dusk or whatever. And my, my, my the melatonin or whatever it is, it's producing my body makes me think, Oh, it's, it's time for sleep. And I am literally fighting with myself. I'm slapping myself mm. the window down. It's horrible. I hate it. Long drives yeah. up. It's just the sleep pressure is building and nothing can stop it. It's going to come out. You can't reduce it. There's no, there's no cure in a sense. But um, yeah, drowsy driving kills someone every single hour in the US, which is a, is a mad stat and it's very common. But not only this, uh, participants who are in sleep deprived um, studies consistently underestimate the degree to which their performance is reduced. So it's one of those things where you can say, you feel, oh, I'm all right but you're not even, not even realizing how bad you are. Mm. I suppose it's like someone who has a couple of pints because ah, I can drive, it's fine. And then, you know, you crash and you go, whoa, I didn't see that car. It's like, yeah, because, you know, you've had a food too many. <laughs> so sleep's kind of the same, but if not worse. So humans need more than six, six to eight hours of sleep each night to maintain cognitive performance. The average is we should have eight have the highest cognitive performance but yeah six to eight is a typical range and after 10 days of just seven hours of sleep uh, the brain is as dysfunctional as it would be going without sleep for 24 hours so i find that quite a mad realization um because i yeah i typically sleep less than that to be honest and i don't class myself as dysfunctional but yeah, maybe maybe I've never seen my full potential because I don't sleep that much. <laughs> Who knows? But um, I talked about me in a little bit. But if that doesn't sound bad enough, those fundamental points, here's some quickfire ones. Um, you also have many emotional and psychiatric problems if you miss sleep. Um, if you don't sleep um, in the night, as I mentioned earlier, you fail to learn and consolidate the memories you've learned that day. Uh, it also increases weight gain, 
you have a loss of reproductive capabilities, and you also have a shorter life. Increase the chance of cancer, heart attacks, Alzheimer's, and all that type of goodness. Either way, sleep is a very obvious thing to do, and maybe you can start seeing why we spend a third of our time doing it. There's a lot of benefits there. Yeah, it's just, is, is there any way of gaming it? Can you have the same thing, but without all the time asleep? Well, yes and no. So this is where we chat about will naps save me? And this is probably the, the most not really understood area. People are experimenting. It's very anecdotal. There's no scientific evidence at all to say any drug or device or any amount of psychological willpower can replace sleep. Power naps um, do momentarily increase uh, basic concentration under conditions of sleep deprivation, um, as can caffeine up to a certain dose, but neither naps nor caffeine can replace actual sleep. Um, and what the sleep does, the functions of the brain, the uh, recalibration, learning, memory, uh, emotional stability, reasoning, all that type of stuff, um, it can't be replaced by naps. That's mm -hmm. roughly what we know. But again, it's a very under-researched area. We don't really know everything yet. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, there's a, a rare collection of individuals <clears throat> who appear to survive on six hours or less sleep and show minimal impairment. Um, they were studied where they were kind of put in laboratory environments and not given alarm clocks. And they consistently still woke up roughly six hours of sleep, no more, and performed well on certain tests that showed they were completely fine. Having limited sleep for long periods of time just didn't really seem to matter for these types of people. Um, part of the explanation there relies in genetics, which is especially a subvariant of a gene called BHLHE41. That one. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. If you got that one, six hours of sleep kind of puts you into the elite sleep club. Well, I've you... got that gene. If I haven't got that gene, then you're like everyone else who That's needs it. six to eight. Yes. So, yeah, the whole sleep thing, very genetically driven. So, when you hear someone talking about sleeping less, maybe they got the gene. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they're just, yeah, mentally dysfunctional and don't even realize. <clears throat> or they're just going to die early yeah that's, that's the other fun thing to look forward to so assuming you are not part of the genetic um, elite club so, naps can do you well but they do not replace the real need of sleep um, so that leaves us onto one sleep style we haven't discussed yet nap only sleep so the polyphasic type of sleeping so I know we've we've had chat this before, and you know I've been experimenting it before. So I'll make this one as quick as possible because it's very little scientific evidence to suggest this works. It's mostly anecdotal evidence from people who've experimented, and I'm just one of them. So this style of sleep is a simple way of segmenting your sleep. So you can still keep the same time, six to eight hours if you wish, and you segment that over the day in parts of naps. So you don't have a, a monophasic sleep, you now have a polyphasic sleep of say 
six naps throughout the day. And the most, well, not the most, the most extreme version of this, um, you can get away with as little as two hours, which utilizes almost 100% REM and deep sleep only, almost annihilates the light sleep. So this is where we enter some guy called Dustin Curtis, who originally started doing this. It's called the Uberman sleep pattern. And he developed a way of sleeping six 20 minute naps um, over the entire day, separated by uh, four hours. Uh, so on the dot, you'd have to nap. You can't oversleep, uh, you can't skip a nap. And the initial initiation phase is brutal because you're meant to reduce your sleep by half an hour a day until you get down to these nap levels. Very hard to do and very unpleasant should you not be someone who does this easily. So I did attempt to copy this style uh, probably about 10 years ago when I was younger. I did manage to do it for a couple of weeks and then it was just too much and I ended up retreating back to what I was doing previously, which is a five or two hour sleep, which is called the everyday man sleep. And that's the 4.5 hours of core sleep followed by two 20 minute naps, um, four hours segmented afterwards. I did sleep that way for the best part of a year. Again, I was younger. It's easier to do these things when you're younger. And the main benefits for me were the, the freedom feeling. So my core sleep was, I think I did half past two till half past seven. Then I had a nap around midday, nap around five. So my core wake time was six till 2 a.m. Then probably 11 till two was my favorite time. That's complete alone time, independence. And unfortunately, I probably wasted the majority of that time playing online games. I do anything productive. Is that because you but couldn't? Or because that's just what you wanted to do? At the time, that's what I wanted to do. Right. So, yeah, it worked. I did gain that stuff. I did have a bunch more hours, about two and a half hours extra a day. And... Yeah, should I have not squandered them, I'm sure I could have made them quite productive if I wanted to. Okay. And these days, um, I now normally sleep monophasic. Um, I do sleep between five and seven hours. I aim for seven. That's my absolute aim. But I still tend to go to bed too late. Like, for example, I get up at 5 a.m., so I should really be sleeping when we're recording this right now in about four minutes, which is not going to happen. Let's wrap up then, eh? <laughs> so stuff like this is uh, why I always go over. I tend to do this stuff a lot, but I don't really go to sleep early. <clears throat> um, so that leads us nice into what's next. Um, the only thing we can really do to get better at this is sleep tracking. So mm. for me, I use Fitbit. I have a Fitbit Inspire 2 which I use to track my sleep and it records my light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep, et cetera, and how it sort of segments. And I like it. There are plenty of sleep apps 
uh, sleep trackers available from phone apps, watches. There's even a cool one, which is like a little ring. That's, that seems pretty cool. It's, yeah. like, it's like 400 quid though, so yeah, not too far of a price. But tracking sleep is essential should you want to improve it. So Ross, you've recently got a tracker and you've been tracking your sleep. Yeah, well, How's it going? I mean, you outdid yourself with presents because I bought you a mug and you got me one of these. So I could join you in this little quest of yours. Um, uh, yes, so I have an Inspired 2 as well. Um, and I have been doing it this week. Um, and, uh, well, what do you want to know? And I've got the, got the back. I can tell you stuff. What do you want to know? Uh, I mean, just generally, how's it going? Do you enjoy the fact that you're now recording sleep? Um, you're a bit more aware of it. Maybe more conscious in your, your light, your deep, your REM, that, that type of stuff. Um, yes, I do. Because I, I literally had no idea. Um, and it has been, as I said, something that's... I would, I, I've always wanted to figure out if I could sleep better or, like I said, wake up feeling less rubbish. Um, but I've never really figured out. I did try the uh, dual phasic or whatever you would call it, as in where you sort of... Um, sleep for about six core hours, I think, and then have one nap um, during the day. Uh, biophysic. Biophysic, okay. Um, I tried that for a while, and I thought that worked quite well. Um, mm. And I can't remember why. I think I just ended up being, you know, you have a day where you, you can't fit a nap in because you've got to work or something, and then and it, it sort of goes out the window. But um, So I, I probably would like to give it another go, but uh, it would seem my sleep is generally pretty good um i I'm, I'm not very consistent as to when i go to sleep though um sometimes it's like gone midnight sometimes it's half past 10 um uh my hours range from anywhere between six and a half hours to eight and a half hours so yeah it's a little bit erratic my sleep mm. I think perhaps i would benefit from having a more fixed thingy but the most one for me would be uh, finding a way of waking up that is not Sluggish. Groggy. Hmm. Yeah, so one thing the Inspire 2 does have is um, smart alarms. So you can pick a time that you want to wake up and set a smart alarm and it'll wait until you're in a light sleep stage and only wake up then. So if you wake up in a light stage, you're unlikely to feel so groggy because you're closer to the, the threshold of being awake anyway. If you get woken up in a deep state, then yeah, you're going to be groggy. So I, think I, should be, I should be able to look at my thing and say, right, well, how close yeah. was I to the deep REM? Um, yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, that makes sense. Well, according to this, I I stop deep sleep from about three a.m. Thereafter, I'm I'm in um, I'm in light sleep, um, but there is a sharp move from light sleep to awake straight through REM straight to awake which may explain why i feel so rubbish so mm. from a mid-stage sleep to awake in one go i don't know yeah potentially didn't yeah. um didn't fulfill the stages having some sort of ability to at least play with it really just to kind of go okay well what can i try what works uh and and matching the numbers to how you feel when you wake up so you know, if it, you mm. feel like you've had a good sleep and then it says you've had a, you know, you've got your score of an 86, which I, which I got, and you go, okay, well, 
that was good. Whatever I did last night was good. So I can look at what time I went to sleep. I went, okay, well, that maybe that's more of that. Maybe I, you know, going to bed earlier or, or whatever it is. Mm. Um, yeah. Caffeine for bed as well, alcohol, that type of stuff. Yes. It's, it's good to experiment when you've got a tracker um, that can give you realistic results. So, yeah. yeah, on Saturday, if you are going to have a couple of beers, it's interesting to see how it changes. It's, it's quite freaky how, how accurate it is, to be honest, because you kind of assume, yeah, sort of nose-ish, but very accurate. Um, my last piece is general good sleep practices. So for those who want to improve their sleep, and I think we've all agreed now that more sleep is better, uh, you can experiment with naps, but they are generally ineffective over long periods of time. So assuming you're not suffering from insomnia or another sleep disorder, there is a few things we can do to improve our sleep. Uh, 12, quick fire. Uh, number one, stick to a sleep schedule. So as you said, go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, you know, yep. nail that one. Number two, exercise. So exercise is great. Don't do it too late in the day. Try to exercise at least 30 minutes uh, most days, if not uh, more. And don't do it two to three hours before bedtime because that kind of gets you a bit too wild up. Number three, avoid caffeine and nicotine. Stimulants, don't need them. Four, avoid alcoholic drinks before bed. So as we discussed, you know, that makes uh, REM sleep a little problem. Uh, Top tip, do your drinking in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drink as much as you can when you wake up. <clears throat> Glass of wine, for breakfast, absolutely fine. Sorry. Yeah. Number five, avoid large meals and beverages late at night. So just don't eat before night because then your body's busy digesting and yeah, mess your sleep up. Six, if possible, avoid medicines that delay or disrupt your sleep. So <clears throat> sleep pills, etc. Just try to avoid if you can. Uh, seven, uh, don't nap after 3 p.m. So this is a good one. Napping does sort of reduce your sleep pressure and you want your sleep pressure to naturally uh, continue with your circadian rhythm. So when you're ready to go to bed, as, as soon as you have that consistent routine, you wake up at say whatever, you feel tired at whatever, but they're always gonna be quite consistent. Number eight, relax before bed. Uh, don't over schedule your days. There's no time left for unwinding. Always take some time to relax before you go to sleep. Uh, reading, listening to music, you know, that type of bedtime ritual that can just chill you out before you go. Number nine, uh, take a hot bath before bed. Nice way to relax. Number 10, dark bedroom, cool bedroom, and ideally a gadget-free bedroom. We all know the blue light kind of messes you up. Just ideally don't even take it to the bedroom in the first place. Uh, don't really have TVs on or any sort of gadgets. Just leave it to be a sleep zone and that's it. Number 11, have the right sunlight exposure. So daylight is key to regulating your daily sleep rhythms. Um, you want to get outside in the day, get some natural uh, light as much as you can, at least 30 minutes a day. And if possible, wake up with the sun or use very bright lights in the morning. So as you're talking about your hammock days, that's probably the best way you should sleep. Yeah, walk up in the sun. Oh, well, move to Brazil then. Best ad. And number 12, don't lie in bed awake. So, 
So the best advice there, if you're trying to go to sleep, you can't go to sleep, is just to get up and do something oh. and try to get wake up. It's not to stay in bed and stay awake and try to sleep. It doesn't tend to be so successful. <clears throat> but that's it. That's all I have. So nice bit of 12 tips at the end. I think the, the summary is, as I started with the TLDR is, um, less sleep, less life. Sleep more, more life. That's all I got. Great, now. Sorry, you might be a bit sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bed. It's half ten. You better do it for your creativity. Uh, so for everybody who hasn't already fallen asleep, um, remember to think, educate and act, and we will see you next week. Next week. Bye. Thank you.